how beautiful it is to be gathered with the body of Christ. You know, it's a, it's a crazy world out there. And to be with the church, to be in the house of God, which is not this building, but it is the body of Christ worldwide, everywhere. And this part of the body of Christ, when we're here, we are in his house. You know, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with you, Jesus said. And so that tells me who is here. I mean, Jesus is here in the midst of us now. And we are in the house of God. We're, we're, we are the body of Christ. We are the ones that, that he is the head and he is moving us at his impulse. Can we be movable by him? Can we, be, can we be the ones who are able to be moved by him? You know, we're not rigid and, and doing our thing, but we're here to be moved by him. And, and especially in these days, you know, it is a crazy world out there. The world will hate us. I mean, Jesus said that. You know, he'll, he'll, he will, they will hate us for Jesus' sake. I mean, he said they would. Uh, they will revile you. They will speak bad of you. They will speak of you in the lowest uh, terms. Jesus said they would even kill you. And although that hasn't happened yet, you know, what Jesus said about, about you know, murder in your heart, I mean, it's happening. Uh, you know, to be a follower of Christ marks us out, not because of who we are, and, and remember that, but because of who he is. And, you know, that was certainly the situation for the early church. And do you think that they, in the light of what was going on in their culture at that time, do you think for a minute that they were just going about business as usual? That they were doing like Jesus said it would be in the last days where people would be marrying and giving in marriage. And that they would be, you know, going to work and building houses and, and you know, building their little uh, mini kingdoms and doing whatever it is that they do without any regard to what is just ahead. And that is not what the early church was doing, not for a minute. And it's not what we are to be doing. There is no business as usual. You know, there is no going back to normal. You know, the normal that was before was only normal for the world. It is abnormal for those of us who are in Christ. You know, his kingdom is not of this world. And so therefore, we are not of this world. The only way that they could negotiate the world as it was then was to be led of the Spirit and moved upon by the Holy Spirit. And so, how about today? Is it any different today? I mean, the only way we can really negotiate what is before us, and especially what is ahead of us, is to be led of the Spirit, moment by moment. You know, you read about some of these people that I mean, even in, in more recent times, I'm thinking of Richard Wormbrand, 
uh, he's the one that uh, he wrote, if any of you know about it, Tortured for Christ, if you know about that. Uh, he, he founded uh, Voice of the Martyrs. You may be familiar with that. And how he and his wife were, were imprisoned and tortured for years. How could they negotiate with the love of Christ what they negotiated? How could the Ten Boom sisters negotiate what they negotiated without the love of Christ living in them? Everything up around them was trying to tear that love out of them and turn it to, to hate, you know, to turn it to resentment for what was happening to them. But when we are in Christ, we're new creatures and everything around us is different. It's viewed differently. It comes out of a heart of love. Um, I'd like to read uh, Luke chapter 5. This is a message. I usually don't title messages, but they like to have a title. And this, this is a good one. is launch out into the deep. Launch out into the deep. And I'd like to read uh, Luke 5, uh, verses 4 through 11. Now when they had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught or a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all night. We've taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, we'll let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and they filled both ships so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of fishes which they had taken. And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they did what? They forsook all and followed him. I'd like to pray. Lord, help us to trust you. To know that what you are doing is what is good and perfect and acceptable in your sight. To help us, Lord, to walk in faith. We are weary. We have toiled all night. We have not seen the fruit that we wanted to see. Sometimes we think we know better. You know, it's the thing that we do and you tell us differently. Lord, give us the, the faith to follow your word. And it's the only word worthy of faith. Help us, Holy Spirit. Give us that life that is in Christ. I pray. Lord, in Jesus' name. So he said, launch out into the deep. You know, God wants us to launch out in faith into the unknown, or I should say into the unknown to you. You know, we, we like to have things figured out and to know what the next step is. We think that's the thing that gives us calmness and peace, that we've got the next thing worked out. 
that the unknown has been, you know, has been uh, softened. You know, that we have a plan. I mean, I'm that way. I, I, I mean, I think that's human nature. And yet he says to launch out into the deep. You know, that's the place that's unknown. And to launch out in that boat required a sail. And the thing is, the wind is blowing, but the, the boat is not going to move. You're not going to make it out into the deep unless you raise that sail to catch the wind. If you get where I'm going. In, uh, in, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, in the Hebrew and the Greek, the word for spirit and the word for wind and the word for breath, they're all the same words or the derivatives of one another. In the Old Testament, it's ruach, or however you pronounce it. And in the New Testament, it's, I don't know, I hear some say pneuma, some say pneuma. Uh, we get like pneumatics. You know, something is pneumatic, it's because it's air-driven. That's where we get that word. And so the Holy Spirit is often associated with wind, with breath. And, and just keep a ribbon where you are because we'll keep coming back to it. But in John chapter 3, we're just going to go through this, this record in Luke. But in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. And he says in verse 7, Marvel not that, that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wants. And you, you hear it. You know, you hear the sound. But you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going to. So also is the Spirit. He's not one to figure out. He is one to raise your sail to and allow yourself to be taken along by him. Allow yourself to be led of him. Allow yourself to be guided by him. But we, we must raise our In fact, doesn't that look like I'm raising hands in praise to God? <laughs> we, we raise that sail to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit. You know, I don't see him, but I, I feel his effects. And, and so it is with the Spirit. It's just like that breath, like that wind. He wants us to be responsive to him and to raise our sail, so to speak, in order to catch what he's doing and to guide us where he would have us to be. We have a, a song we sing here. I don't know the title of it, but can't you can't you feel the wind blowing, blowing, blowing? Uh, isn't that the words? Uh, that's that's what's going on. We know, we know, we know that the Holy Spirit is here, that He is at work in our lives. You know, anyone who is born of the Spirit, it says in Romans, is led of the Spirit. I mean. You think you have got to have, you know, a, a technicolor announcement, you know, go this way and do this sort of thing. 
But if you're born again and moving, you will find yourself being led of the Spirit. You know, there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of mm, uncertainty that people have and they feel like they're not doing what God would have them to do. But how many times have you, after a thing has happened, had some feedback come to you and you learn, wow, I had nothing to do with that. The Lord did something right there and, and I was involved and I had no idea. I mean, has that ever happened to you? Yes, yes, yes. All the time. We need to be like soft and able to be molded and moved by the Spirit. And we're especially going to need it with the times that are coming. In Job 33. This really shows how how the Spirit of God and wind and breath tie together. In Job 33 and in verse 4, the Spirit of God hath made me. The breath of the Almighty hath given me life. Doesn't it say that when God formed man, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And that, that caused man to be a living spirit. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And... Uh, it does make me think of uh, Ezekiel 37, that famous passage about the, the dry bones. You know, the Lord asks the prophet, can these bones live? I mean, it, it just looked like a heap of bones, you know. And the prophet answers, well, any a good answer, I don't know. You know. I mean, he's just looking at a pile of bones. And... And he says, prophesy to the wind, right? And to blow on these. And the breath of the Almighty comes upon them and they they become clothed in flesh and they come to life. What a picture of what happens to us when we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Behold, all things are become new. We died with Christ. We are now alive with Him. This is a new life. And if ever there was a time, I mean, any time is a time, but if there ever was a time for us to be walking in that new life, it's today. It's always today. It's always, it's always now. So God breathed into man the breath of life. You know, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture, I'm going to quote you the King James, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. But that is literally, all scripture is God-breathed. It comes by His Spirit. It's full of the Spirit of God. The scriptures are full of life. The life of God. And it's profitable. And when you have the Spirit in charge of things, fruit is born. It's profitable. It does something. Something happens. Something comes to pass, right? When now let's let's look at John chapter twenty. 
if you have been seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this little bit, I think, is for you. I mean, it's for all of us. But in John chapter 20, he was in, Jesus was instructing his disciples. This was after his resurrection. He, this is one of his resurrection appearances. They were gathered behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. That's where their faith was at that time. In other words, it was at a very low point. And he's instructing them. He begins by saying, peace be unto you. And in verse 22, he said, and when he said this, he breathed on them and, re- and said, receive you the Holy Ghost. He breathed. I always wondered about that. But he was giving them instruction. You know, didn't it happen on the day of Pentecost that the whole house where they were sitting, it was filled with the sound of a rushing mighty wind, or as many translations have it, as of a heavy breathing or a loud breathing. It was a sound of breath. You know, it's the Spirit of God filling the place. And it was actually audible to them. It was a phenomenon that God gave to them as a sign. Jesus had already instructed them. He says he breathed and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And that is, that is powerful. Maybe I'll talk about this now. So, if you're seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, a lot of people say, well, wait on God. I think that is good advice. However, uh, we have misconstrued what it means to wait on God. We think that we are waiting for him to do something. And that's not the case because he has already done it. Everything that he ever set out to do in you has been done in Christ. It's all an accomplished reality. We're already seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of God, and it is done. Jesus, didn't he say, it is finished, right? So that is, that's not what waiting on God is about. People will wait, and they'll wait, and they'll wait, and they'll wait, and they'll never do anything. That's not what it is. It is um, more in line with what a, you know the word doulos? that bond servant in the Bible. It's one who had served their seven years as a quote-unquote slave, but really was like an indentured, indentured servant. When they came to the end of their servitude and were set free, they came back to the master and said, you're a good master. I love you. I want to serve you the rest of my life. And they were made a a slave for life. And the master then would take care of this servant. And, you know, he would have his ear pierced. There would be a particular ring in there that would say, this, this man is a doulos. There was a marking that was obvious to everybody that he belonged to that master. And what that doulos did was watch the master. You know, he's like, uh, like Mr. Clean, right? And, and he's just watching the master. That, and he was waiting on the master. When the master went like that, then that, the doulos did what the master did like that. That's being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? It's being, it's being 
uh, focused on him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I mean, when they're elsewhere, how can we see what he's telling us to do? How can we be guided by his eyes? How can we be um, led along gently or even pushed along if we're not looking at, who, at, at him and who he is? When Saul was persecuting the church, just think about this one. It says that Saul was yet breathing out slaughter against the church. Now, this is something that may be coming to us. He was breathing out slaughter against the church. What does that mean? It means that he was using his voice. He was speaking against the church. He was speaking against believers. He was pointing them out and said, that one is. And, and it, it's the voice of the accuser so that they could be arrested and some imprisoned, some even put to death. He was using his voice. When Pentecost came, you know, they, there they were in their place, the sound of that rushing mighty wind, that sound of, of the breath of God. And what happened is they spoke. They used their voices. They spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. You know, Paul tells us in Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit. How? By speaking to yourself. See, there it is, your voice again. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's what he's telling us. They used their voice. funny that that same Paul, Saul, that breathed out threatenings and slaughter against the church is the same one that, that said to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. How beautiful a transformation there is when the Holy Spirit comes into one's life. And this is a little off script here, but, you know, Peter and the others, Peter, John, all of them, while they were walking the earth with Jesus, just didn't get it. And they were with the God of all creation, and they still just didn't get it. They never fully got what he was about. They, when he told them, repeatedly what was going to happen to, to him, they missed it every time. And when he went to do what he came for, which was to take the sins of the world to the cross, to Calvary, they fled. And after, after his death and burial and resurrection, they... Their manner of life after that was fear. When they gathered together, I mean, and it was, I, you could say it's a reasonable fear. They just watched this horrifying uh, torture of their master, of their Lord. His death, it was just awful. And they figured they were next. So I, you could say it's a reasonable fear, but they were behind 
closed doors for fear of the Jews, specifically of those who had condemned Jesus to death, who were calling for his death. The religious, honestly, the religious who were the ones that were really after Jesus. And what happened after they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Peter stood before them and said, You have taken, and by wicked hands, you have crucified and slain him. In another place, he says, I know that through ignorance you did it, as also did your fathers. In other words, you're dumb. You're stupid. I mean, I think that's what he was saying. And to say to people of that culture that your fathers did it, I mean, that was, that was like saying your mama or something. I mean, it was a very, very serious uh, thing. You were going to get retaliation for that. And here he is in the public place, in the temple, speaking these things with such boldness. What made the difference? It was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the manifesting of it. I mean, how powerful is that when you take men who have walked with Jesus and still couldn't get it, and yet now here they are walking in great power. I mean, just follow it in the book of Acts. It's so exciting. You know, there are other winds blowing in the world. Um, it isn't just the wind of the Spirit, that breath of the Spirit, but there are many voices. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, it, it says something like, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world. You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, And in verse 14, we function the way we do in the church, and it's specifically talking about the ministry gifts, but we function the way that we are in the church, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every what? Every wind of doctrine. You know, there's spirit behind these deceptions. It's not the Holy Spirit. You know, there is demonic spirit behind even these subtle uh, veering away from the truth. These winds have deceived people, even, even the very elect, it says, that it is possible that they be deceived. I mean... Who, who doesn't understand and see that the church, certainly in the West, and, and everywhere I've been, is, is really fallen. And that God is calling out a people for himself uh, that's, that, that doesn't look like what we have seen. You know, uh, that doesn't look like the thing that we've seen in general across the church. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit is carried about by every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness 
by where they lie in wait to deceive. And how do we answer that? By speaking, speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You know, the Bible tells us that the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. And, you know, and you can see, let's turn back to Luke chapter 5. You can see Peter's flesh getting in the way here. Jesus said, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a draught. I'm reading out of the King James, that D-R-A-U-G-T. I looked it up. It's really the English form of draft. Like we say, a place is drafty. It is. It, it, it's, uh, it's etymology, which is, in other words, the origin of the word, is related to wind. Even that is. You know, it's, it's something, when you let that net down, you don't really see it, but it's catching something. Just like a sail does when you let it up into the air. Isn't that awesome? And uh, you could see uh, Simon's flesh getting in the way because he answers the master. We've worked all night. We are exhausted. And we are experts. We know fishing. And we've taken nothing. And don't we let our own knowledge of a thing our own expertise maybe, our own training or education get in the way, our own religious expectations, our own religious training get in the way of what the Lord is trying to do in our lives. He's telling us something that's out of the box. And you're thinking that's not possible. And we've worked all night. We're tired. We're weary. And that's how it gets when we are walking by our own wits, it wears us out. Sleep flies from us. That refreshing that comes from being in his presence isn't there. We wear down, we wear down, we become dry. I think of all how many years has it been, Angie? Six years, maybe. Since five, six years since diagnosed. That can wear you down. And yet, you know, you see, you see how she is, and even in the depths of it, or even at her weakest, worshiping God, um, speaking always words of faith. You know, those things are life. They're life. When there's, when we, when our life is at low ebb, his life, it's always at the top. You know, it's the life of God. Nevertheless, at thy word, I let down the net. And I've always thought, and I don't know if this is so, you can decide for yourself, that Jesus said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets, you know? And, and Peter said, now, again, take this with a grain of salt. Peter said, okay, I mean, we've worked all night, I know better, but at your word, I'll let down the 
neck, finger. I'm thinking he didn't quite go all the way and that that's why the net broke. Now, well, then the other ship comes and they fill both ships and they begin to sink. And that's when Peter finally comes to himself. You know, before that, he was like, but master, but master. But when he gets to the end of it, he's like, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. I'd like to remove the but Lord, but master. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, again, just keep your ribbon in Luke, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, yes, our flesh gets in the way, it's true, but he gives us this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Chapter, what did I say? Chapter 10, I'm sorry. Let me go. 2 Corinthians 10, in verse 3, for though we walk, walk in the flesh, right? We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Glory to God. Casting down imaginations and every high thing, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I mean, what was Peter's high thing? I know what I'm doing. I'm a fisherman. We worked all night. There's nothing out there. You know, what, what thoughts are you having that war against the light and truth of God? That is what we... what. The weapons of our warfare are mighty enough to pull down those strongholds, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and leading into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And we do have a mandate to tend to our, to discipline our thought life. Because we, and I think it, it I, I think it must be especially true in our culture that we think that our thoughts are, I don't know, like maybe another creature or something. It just, our thoughts just think. It's as if we have nothing to do with it. Why, well, you know, you know, and, and then your thoughts just start running. You fall prey to fear, to unbelief. I mean, that's where our thoughts will lead us. And that's where we're to, we are to take them captive and lead them to Christ. My thoughts tell me fear. I, when I take that captive to Christ, I'm telling my thoughts, fear not. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I give an answer to those things. I lead them captive to Him. It's not an, it's not an ethereal, theoretical thing. But it's a thing that the word of God spoken on the lips of, of faith will captivate that, that thought of flesh. And the spiritual will dominate. 
You know, Abraham, when he was first called out in Genesis chapter 12, he set out in faith, not knowing where he was going. He didn't know where he was headed. He was just told to leave his father's house and and to go to a place I'm going to show you. So he did not have it mapped out. And if you do not have things mapped out, please do not let it stick your feet in the mud and to, and to stop. God needs us to move. It is then that he, he will move upon us. I mean, that's what faith looks like. Faith looks like moving. It looks like moving in faith to him, knowing that he is going to guide us. You know, in speaking, he's not going to take over your mouth. You have got to open your mouth and make it work. Then he will begin to supply the utterance. Amen. You have to move. That is what faith is. So Abraham walked. And as he walked, more was revealed. Um, We're like... Secret agents for God. We're on a need-to-know basis. He will always be there. He will always give you what you need. He will always do that. Uh, but we want committees. You know, we want a plan. We want agendas. And we end up planning the Holy Spirit right out of our lives and of our families, of our churches, uh, of our careers. Okay? Even that. You know, so any rate, in back here, and I'll close right now. Luke 5, verse 11, it says, When they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. And that is the calling that we have on our lives. If if you are dead with him, how then should you now live? Except by his life. I mean, there is no other choice. If we are then, if we've died with him and we're raised new creatures in Christ, it says, behold, all things are become new. We're freed from the old and we don't have to live there anymore, but we still do at times. But we've been freed and we're able to live beyond that. We don't allow your sense knowledge, your worldly wisdom, your expertise, your Uh, your experience to lead you astray and to stop you. I would like to encourage all of us to raise our sails. And when the wind of the Spirit blows, which it is blowing, it's always blowing, to to allow ourselves to be led of Him. And And I like to think of it also as being soft to Him. We're not rigid. We're soft to Him. We, we are able to be, to be moved. We're able to be led. It's so important. It's, it's, it's critical. It's critical that we be available to him, that we be soft to him, that we are able to be moved by him, and that we wait on him. You know, it's like a waiter waiting on a table. We're serving him. We're serving him in our prayers, in our praise, in our thanksgivings, in our worship, we're serving him. And as we are waiting on him, that's when he moves upon us. 
not that we're waiting for him to do something. He did it. Just remember that. Please remember that. That he has already done it in Christ. He made his move. It's your move. Let's stand. Set sail. Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies, and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host with a camp around me, he is he is the strength of my days. He's the light of my salvation. He's the place of my refuge. And he is here. This is our place of refuge. When the times are darker than we even see now, or seem to be dark, and when things to be, seem to be hemmed in, this, this is our place of refuge. This is our, this is our supply, is the body of Christ. Every joint supplies. And in that, we need to be built up in. Glory to God.